Our scripture reading is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief and various trials so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. morning. Before, before we look at this passage together, I just want to say a couple of words about an email that fix the microphone. An email you probably received from me this week uh, explaining my decision to be transferring, uh, transitioning out of my role as pastor here into a different ministry. And um, I imagine you have a lot of questions about that. My apologies to anyone whom that hit as a shock. That was not the intention. Um, But to invite you really next Sunday after the service, if you would please come, we'll have a town hall meeting where we'll, I'll be answering questions. We'll be talking about the plan that is in place for for the future of finding uh, pastoral leadership, an interim pastor who'll be here. And um, I just appreciate your prayers and your encouragement. And my two, just two words for us as we move into this time of change, really as a church, trust and pray. So r- r- listen, when you're, go- when you're going through times of change and uncertainty, that's the time to trust, right? And to help each other to trust. That's, that's when we turn up the faith and just say, God knows what he's doing and we're going we're gonna to wait on him, right? But then also pray. What a great prayer meeting. Um, Sunday before the service, if you don't know about it, there's a great prayer meeting going on. And today, just the, the, the prayers of that gathering. I, I'm, I'm, my hope is that as a church, we'll really be praying that God will be uniting us and drawing us together in this time. And I expect him to do that. So let's pray now, and then we'll look to his word together. Father, thank you, that, um, thank you for that song that Brahma just sang for us, that... Um, uh, when it feels like the, the, the heat is just bearing down, that's when you reveal yourself. That's when you make yourself known. And you do that so often through your word. And we ask that you do that for us today, that you would speak through your word to us. In Christ's name, amen. So today's passage is from 1 Peter. and The, the book of 1 Peter was written to, it was written to Christians who were... Um, they were facing lots of discouragement and difficulties. 
of, of various kinds. You just, if you read through the book, you'll see this. So, um, for example, in chapter 3, the apostle addresses people who were trapped in disappointing marriages. And in, in chapter 2, he speaks to those who were uh, laboring in hostile work environments. And then again in chapter 3, he gives counsel to those who were being verbally harassed by others. And then in chapter 4, he talks to those who were being persecuted for their faith. Chapter 5, he talks to those of us who are struggling with fear and anxiety. Chapter 2, he talks to those who are wrestling with temptation. So you just find it throughout the book of 1 Peter. The whole book just revolves around this theme of how to face suffering. How to face suffering as a Christian. So uh, let me ask you, if you were writing a book on how to face suffering, what, what would be the first thing that you would talk about? Well, it's, it's interesting to notice in today's pas passage, the first thing he talks about, Peter begins this book on how to face suffering. He begins by talking about Easter, by talking about the hope that we have as Christians because of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. You see that in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. So Peter is saying, listen, because Jesus rose, because the tomb is empty, we have hope, living hope, no matter what happens. Now, why is that the case? Why does the resurrection of Christ give us hope? Three reasons, all right? First, because Christ is risen as believers, we know that our suffering is always temporary. Whatever we go through, it's temporary. And now why is this? You know the answer, because Jesus conquered the grave, right? We we might go through death, but we will not end in death, will we? we? We might go through sickness, but we will not end in sickness. We might go through poverty. We will not end in poverty. We, we might go through lonely times. We will not end up being lonely for eternity, will we? No, that, that's not what awaits us. And Peter says this here. He says, because of God's great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and, verse 4, into an inheritance, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So, believer, this is saying that God has an inheritance reserved for you. It's waiting for you. Peter says that this inheritance is imperishable. That means it cannot be destroyed. He says it is undefiled. That means it is perfect and pure. And he says it is unfading. And that means that for all eternity, Christian, your inheritance in Christ will never, ever lose its beauty. He says through the resurrection of Christ, God has given you an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and then look at that. He says, kept in heaven for you. Now, what does that mean? The phrase kept in heaven for you, it's not talking about where your inheritance is located as much as this is talking about why your inheritance is secure. Why is your inheritance in Christ secure? Because it's kept in heaven. In other words, it's, it is being guarded by God, guarded in the presence of God. If you... Uh, 
If, listen, if you ask a three-year-old child to, um, to hold on to a diamond ring for you, take care of it, you, you might not find it again, right? You, you lock it in a steel vault, it'll probably be okay. But listen, if your treasure is kept in heaven, if it's being guarded by God, you never ever have to fear losing it. And Peter's saying, Christian, your inheritance, the salvation that Christ won for you, it's being guarded by God, right? Kept by Him. And not, not only, he says, not only is your inheritance being guarded, he says, you yourself are being guarded. Verse 5, you are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. You are being guarded, believer. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that so encouraging. See, I, I am never, ever afraid that somehow God is going to mess up and lose my salvation. I never fear that God will lose my salvation. But sometimes I fear that I might. Because I know how stupid I am. I know how weak I am. I know how prone to wander my heart can be. And, and, and I just fear, what if I, what if I blow it? What if I, what if I lose it? I stray from Christ. This verse assures me I am being guarded by God's power. And listen to me, Christian, so are you. Isn't that wonderful? You are being guarded by God's power. And, and Peter says, this is not through your hard work. It's not through your diligent effort. It's not through the, you know, your inner virtue. He says, you are being guarded by God's power through what? Through faith. Simple faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Then he goes on, verse 6. He says, you rejoice in this, even though now, see the next words, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. For a short time. So what does Peter mean when he says, listen, your grief, your suffering, it's only going to last a short time. Does he mean when you go through hard times, don't worry because God is going to fix it real quick, right? Just, a, just listen, just a few sessions with a counselor and your marriage is going to be perfect. Right? Or just, just, a, just a few months of waiting and those prodigal children are going to come home. Or just, just a few hours in prayer, don't worry, you will be healed of your... Is that what he means? It's going to happen quickly? No. You know better than that, don't you? Sometimes, you've probably seen this, maybe it's happened to you. Sometimes Christians will be asked to endure a form of heartbreak or suffering that will last their entire earthly life. What Peter is saying here is that when he says for a short time, he's saying compared to eternity, an earthly life is a short time. It's a short time. A, a line from uh, C.S. Lewis's novel, Till We Have Faces, goes something like this. He said, this present life of ours will someday be a distant memory like that, compared to what God has prepared for us. So why does the resurrection give us hope when we're suffering? Well, because Jesus conquered the grave. And so we know, first, all our suffering is only temporary. Second reason why is because, listen, because Jesus conquered the grave, our suffering has a purpose. It's not meaningless. There's a purpose to it. So again, verse 6, you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, and what's the next words? If necessary. 
even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. Peter's just, he's just saying here, listen, whenever God allows heartbreak or suffering or pain or sorrow into the lives of his people, he doesn't do it randomly. It's, there's a sense in which it's necessary. God has a, a purpose for the pain that we're going through. And listen, this is where it gets hard. Let's not pretend that it's easy. There are things that happen in life that make no sense to us, right? We can't see God's purpose. If ever you meet a Christian that walks around acting as if he or she always understands exactly what God is happening, letting this happen to you, listen, don't believe them. They, we, there are times we can't see it. Walk through a pediatric cancer ward and pretend you know the, the purposes of God. Walk through a, a cemetery after a school shooting, pretend you know the purposes of God. Listen, can, you, can we agree on this? There are times when life makes no sense. For example, when the Son of God came to live among us, what did He do? He healed the sick, He fed the hungry, He welcomed the outcast, He taught us God's truth, right? In other words, when He was here, everything He did, everything He did was loving and good. And yet the Father allowed Him to die on a cross. And if ever there was a moment in the history of this world when injustice and suffering made no sense at all, it was right then when the Son of God was, was rising on, on the cross. It didn't make any sense. It seemed like there's no purpose to it. And then three days later, God raised him from the dead. And suddenly, it made sense. Death had been conquered, sin had been vanquished, the kingdom had been won. Like this. So in other words, the resurrection, listen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the ultimate proof that even when we can't see any reason at all for suffering or, or injustice, God knows what he's doing. I mean, Christian, listen, if, if, God, if God could work all things together for good when his son was dying on the cross, you can just be confident he can work all things together for good in your life too, right? The, the, for, he says, now for a short time, if necessary, you're suffering. So uh, why does the resurrection give us hope? just shows us our suffering. We may not understand it, but it has a purpose. Now often, Peter says, often the purpose of, of our suffering is is to, uh, to change something in us, to refine our faith. And some of you know that. You've experienced that, right? He says, here you suffer grief in various trials, verse 7, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of, of Jesus Christ. And so the image here, he's saying, listen, God will sometimes use hardship or disappointment or failure in your life. He, he'll use it the same way fire is used to purify gold. You know, when they get gold ore and they put it in the crucible and they, and they crank up the fire, the purpose is not to destroy that metal, is it? The purpose is to increase its value, to purify it. And, and he's just saying that God will sometimes do that with you. Have, you. have you experienced that? You've gone through a really, really hard time. You hope you never have to go through that again. But you look back and you say, I came out different than I went into this. 
I, I know God better. I, 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 I'm holding on to the world more loosely right now. I, my heart is longing for, for Christ's presence more than it was before. He, he purifies your faith. So this is, this is a truth every Christian needs to learn and understand. And, and I'll tell you why. When you go through a really, really hard time, something happens and you're just feeling so embarrassed or ashamed, or, 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 or there's, there's pain and sickness in your body and it won't go away. Or you've been rejected or betrayed by someone. You're, just, you're really, really hurting. When that happens, this will sound weird maybe to some of you, but when that happens, the enemy, the devil, will sneak up and want to accuse you. That little voice in the back of your mind. You, you've heard it before, that little voice that says, you, do you know why you're suffering? God has rejected you. Do, do, do you know why you are not being healed? You don't have enough faith. Do, do you know why your prayers are not being answered? It's because of that sin you committed. You know the one, remember that weekend in college? You know God has not forgiven you, right? The accuser will come and condemn you. Listen, believer, when that happens, you need to know in advance what you're going to say, what you're going to say, and here's what you need to say. Number one, God has not rejected me. God will never reject me. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I belong to God now, right? Number two, even though it's true, I can't see any reason for this suffering, God knows the purpose he has for it. Why? Because Jesus rose from the grave. You understand that? The, the resurrection of Christ, it's the ultimate proof that even when, even when suffering makes no sense for, at all to us, even when the Son of God himself is hanging on the cross, God still knows what he's doing. Amen? So why does Peter, he's writing this book on how to face suffering. Why does he start with talking about Easter? Let's talk about the resurrection. The resurrection shows us all our suffering is temporary. It's temporary. The grave has been conquered. And all our suffering has a purpose. The cross is inexplicable, but God knows what he's doing. And then, and then one third reason, that the resurrection of Christ, resurrection of Christ shows us that when we suffer, believer, when we suffer, we never go through it alone, ever. Christ is with us. So let, let, me, let me ask you, if you, if you ever had a, have you ever had an experience like this? Um, you're at a public gathering of some kind, and uh, you, you meet someone that you, you know, just a random stranger. You've never met them before. You strike up a conversation with them. In the course of the conversation, you mention a friend of yours, and it turns out this stranger knows your friend. Has that ever happened to you? Like, let's say, uh, okay, you're at a wedding. You don't even know the bride and groom. Someone invited you, right? You're at a wedding. You're standing in the buffet line. There's somebody in the line next to you. You start talking to him. Somebody mentions fishing, and you say, oh, yeah, the other week I went fishing with my friend Mike, Mike, Mike Park, let's say, and you describe Mike. And the guy goes, Mike Park? I know Mike Park. And he says, how do you know Mike? He goes, I went to college with him. You go, that's crazy. Yeah, you know him. And he says, why? He says, well, because he's my cousin. You know, you know what I'm talking about, something like that, just amazed that they they know someone that you know. Well, when I read 1 Peter chapter 1, I get the sense that the Apostle Peter had had a, an experience similar to that in his interactions with the people to whom he wrote this letter. 
So, you, so here's why. Peter, as you know, Peter was one of the very first disciples. He, he, he knew Jesus personally, right? I mean, he had traveled with Christ through the years of his ministry. He walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He ate with him. They went on boat rides together. I mean, he, he, he actually knew Jesus in the flesh. The people to whom Peter wrote this letter, they did not know Jesus that way. This letter, if you read the beginning of, of the book, you'll, you'll see that this letter was written to Christians who live in a part of the world that today would be in, in uh, modern-day Turkey, which is hundreds of miles away from Israel. They had never, probably never been to Galilee. They had never met Jesus in the flesh. These were, Christ, these were believers who probably had come to faith in Christ years after Jesus had already ascended into heaven. But here's the strangest thing. As Peter got to know these men and women he realized they knew Jesus, right? They, the, the same Jesus that he knew, they knew Jesus. And that's what he says in verse 8. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Like, how do you love him? You weren't with us. You never, you never, you never shook his hand. You never walked with him, but you love him, though not seeing him now. You believe in him and, and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. It just, I can you imagine the, 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 uh, the amazement of someone like Peter as he meets these, these, these Christians in distant places who've, who've come to Christ years after the, the ascension. And he's saying, I just can't believe it. I know, I know you were not with us in the Sea of Galilee. I know you were not with us in, in, in the streets of Jerusalem. I know you weren't there when we fed the 5,000. But the more I get to know all of you, I just have the sense that you know, you know Jesus just as well as I do. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you don't see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. Now, this, is, this, uh, this was amazing. These people, these people in ancient Turkey... These people who had never met Jesus physically knew Jesus personally just as well as someone like Peter did. Now, how could that be? How could that be? Uh, how, could, how could people who had never heard of Jesus in, in, until years after he died know Jesus personally? I'll, I'll tell you how. Yes, he died but he didn't stay dead, right? Do, do you know that? I know this, sounds, this might sound bizarre to some of your coworkers or fellow students who don't know Christ, but this, this is what the Bible tells us. Listen, church, we do not follow a dead Savior. He is alive. And through the Holy Spirit, he makes himself, his own presence, known to us. That's a promise Jesus made to, the, to the, uh, the disciples the night before he died. John chapter 14, he said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. You know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Through, through the Holy Spirit. Does this sound mysterious? It is, right? Through the Holy Spirit, Jesus comes to us. He's with us. So that means when you go through hard times, you never go through them alone. 
right? When, you, when we face discouragement, guess what? Jesus is with us. When we're feeling ashamed, guess what? Jesus is with us. When you fail at some really important task, task, Jesus is with you. When your body is sick, Jesus is with you. When your mind is troubled, Jesus is with you. When your home is, 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 is troubled, Jesus is with you. Through the Holy Spirit, He's here. So that means when you go through suffering, you're never alone. When, uh, when through the deep waters he calls you to go, the rivers of sorrow will not overflow, for he will be with you, your troubles to bless, and sanctify to you your deepest distress. So, how do you face suffering as a Christian? Well, Peter says, first thing is, you got to know about Easter. you, you got to know that the, the, the grave is empty. You have, to know that, you have to know that he conquered death so that you know you will conquer death and your suffering is only temporary, right? You, you have to know that he, 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 was, he was raised from the grave. The cross made no sense at all, but God knew what he was doing. So your suffering will always have a purpose. And, and you have to know that uh, he's not dead anymore. He's alive. Through the Spirit, he makes himself known. So when you suffer, you will never ever suffer alone. In other words, Peter says, you need that living hope, that living hope that we have in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that these, these truths that we learn from your word are true whether we feel it today or not, that Christ is risen, that in Christ our, our suffering is temporary, that you do know what you're doing in the hard times in our life, even when we can't see it, and that even, even on those days when we don't feel him with us, through the Spirit, Jesus is here. So I, I pray that you would grant to each one of us um, just give us the gift of faith to trust your word that these things are true. In Christ's name, amen.